What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did. Then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? How is everyone doing tonight? We want to welcome you to our show. And tonight we have a special guest, Dr. Thomas Ice. Um, he hasn't called in yet, so we're going to just tell you how to reach us at don'tlandemburn.com. You can go there. You can send us emails. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter and vid.me and also YouTube. Check us out on YouTube. We've been having a great lineup of guests um, over the last few weeks. Last week we had Pastor Billy Crone. Before that we had Sheila Zelensky. Hello, Marzuli. Lele Marzuli. Um, I know there's two I'm, I'm forgetting right now. <laughs> but we've, ha- we've been having some really interesting guests on the show and um, coming from their own expertise and, and, and research. And it's been very, uh, a very interesting time because of uh, the amount of information that's getting poured out on uh, the body of Christ, uh, at least those that come and listen to our show. Um, before we get started, Rory, could you lead us into a word of prayer? Yes. Uh, Lord God, we just thank you. We truly praise you, Lord God, for your saving grace, Lord God, for the things that you have done, how you have grafted us back in, Lord God, that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord God, you are the author and finisher of our faith, and we thank you. We just ask you, dear Lord God, to take full control of the things that we talk about tonight, may it always bring honor and glory to your name and your name alone. Lord God, we just pray that you would just hide, our, hide us under the shadow of the Almighty. You said in your word, those that dwell in the secret place, oh Lord God. And Lord, dear Lord God, we want to be hidden in Christ, in God. And we are, because we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So we thank you and we praise you, dear Lord God, that tonight folks will be able to listen They'll be able to learn. They'll not only just listen and learn, but they will apply what they're going to hear tonight to their lives and change their destiny, dear Lord God. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And our guest should be in um, shortly. So, you know, we have um, the issue of Zionism and there are many different definitions of it. We'll be talking about that tonight. Uh, the Bible and end times and the rapture again. The times that we live in are very interesting. <laughs> to say the least, we have a rise in people talking about cannibalism. We have our entertainment flooded with all sorts of things. In fact, um, next week we're going to be uploading our first movie review and it will be on the Lego Batman. And we're going to do other movie reviews to let you know the secrets of the things that are in, in some of your entertainment. But tonight, we have Dr. Thomas Ice. He's the executive director of the Pre-Trib Research Center. He founded 
the center in 1994 with Dr. Tim LaHaye uh, to research and teach and defend the pre-tribulation rapture and related Bible prophecy doctrines. Dr. Ice has co-authored over 30 books, written hundreds of articles, and is a frequent conference speaker. In fact, I just finished watching him on um, Prophecy in the News. And um, he's written some very interesting books. Tonight we're going to talk about his, his recent book, The Case for Zionism. So we're going to bring in our guest now, Dr. Hello. Ice. Hello. How you doing? Yes. Hello, good evening. Hi, how are, how are y'all doing? <laughs> Good. That's yeah, it's, it's me and my partner, Rory, and um, we just want to get into some interesting conversation with you about your new book. Okay. Okay. Um, we, we can start off with first. And um, uh, there's a lot of um, interesting thoughts out there about what Zionism is, um, the a large conspiracy, and all sorts of things. Um, you mentioned um, supersessionism and replacement theology, and most people are going to think that first before they think of anything else. So if you want to run us down uh, the line of what these things mean. Okay, well, Zionism is a term. Zion occurs over 140 times in the Bible, and it was picked by... Uh, the Jewish people who wanted to return to the land of Israel in the late 1800s. And uh, the reason they picked it is because Zion in the Bible has uh, kind of a positive connotation. And many of its references refer to Israel back in the land uh, in favor with God, the Messiah, Jesus, uh, and uh, at the end times. And so the Bible talks about uh, the return of the Jews to the land and every prophet except for Jonah, who's dealing with Gentiles there. And uh, so it's something that the Bible talks a whole lot about is the Jews returning to the land. And so that's why that term was selected. Now, before uh, Christians as early as the late 1500s began to talk about uh, the fact that the Jews were going to return to the land of Israel in the last days. And uh, that was called restorationism. And uh, when the term Zion uh, was starting to be used by the Jews, then uh, Christians started identifying themselves as Christian Zionists. Okay. Roy, you got any questions? Not so far. So, well, we started a long time ago. It's not just when, um, right before Israel became a nation, that Christians knew about this. Right. You you had a few a comments. Name. Right. You had a few comments in the early church, but those people believed that the church had become the new Israel, and that's what developed into replacement theology. In other words, the church has forever replaced Israel. And uh, there really wasn't much during the Middle Ages as well. And it was with the start of the Protestant Reformation where people began to, uh, a combination of studying the Bible for themselves because they were translating the Bible into their European languages and things and uh, going back and studying the original Greek and Hebrew. And so among the post-Reformation people, 
uh, premillennialism sprang up very strongly in the 1600s, early 1600s, especially among the Puritans, but among European Christians as well. And as a result, uh, you had people saying, hey, the Bible teaches the Jews are going to return to the land one day. And uh, they began to write books that uh, make statements about that. And so that's about a 400 to 500-year-old uh, strong belief within Protestantism that the Jews will return to the land. And especially in the United States, almost all the Puritans who were the founders of, of, of American New England, for example, all believed in this, all believed in the restoration of Israel. Okay. I, I have a question, and it, it's sort of just a little out there. Uh, okay. Okay. And it is, how did the Catholic Church deal with what was happening? Or did well, they, were they for it also? No, the Catholic Church certainly was not for the restoration of Israel because they believe that they're the fulfillment of all of these promises uh, to to Israel that they've been, you know, they invented replacement theology, they invented amillennialism, and they believe that the uh, Catholic Church was fulfilling this. And uh, that's why around 400 Augustine, who probably is one of the most influential guys in the church, well, he was one of the most influential guys in church history, uh, you know, developed what we call amillennialism, because the church up to that point had primarily been premillennial. And it, it was there in Alexandria, Egypt, where you began to have people who did not take the book of Revelation literally in Revelation 20, you know, where it talked about the thousand-year reign of Christ. And uh, August, and you'd had the, you know, in 313, you had had the uh, uh, conversion of the Roman Empire to Christianity. And you had a tremendous time of church growth, needless to say, shortly after that. You went from about 8% of the Roman Empire being Christian to like 98%. Talk about church growth. And, of course, at the same time, you had all this heresy that started coming in because everybody was considered a Christian. And so they believed that they were fulfilling uh, all of the future things. And, therefore, over time, this becomes established, especially throughout the Middle Ages. And they believe that the Jews, you know, I mean, the Catholic Church was killing Jews uh, throughout the Middle Ages and various things. And they believe that the only reason God kept the Jews around was to show uh, what happens if you reject Christ. And so they were, they've been very much opposed to the restoration of Israel because it kind of, uh, goes against their spiritual view that the Catholic Church is somehow fulfilling, you know, all the promises in the Bible. So I see uh, there's a rise in, in a lot of anti-Semitism nowadays, and, you know, some of it's going along with what people think Zionism is. And I understand that, you know, in, in, in the nation of Israel, there's good and bad. So uh, how do you um, separate what's going on to what people think? Well, we demonstrate in the book that there are two end-time regatherings of Israel back from their worldwide dispersion. And the first end-time regathering is going on now, and that is bringing them back in unbelief. Now, you know, there's probably 30,000 
Jewish believers or so in the land of Israel, but they'll be taken in the rapture, and uh, that ends the current church age. And during the seven-year tribulation, which is the finishing of the 70th week of Daniel, uh, that is a time when God is going to use Israel to evangelize the world. And he's going to have the 144,000 Jewish believers, uh, and he's going to have the nation of Israel because in Revelation, it's like 12, 11 and 12, it talks about uh, Jerusalem and uh, the two witnesses and the Jewish people fleeing to Petra and all of these other kinds of things taking place. And so Israel has to be back in the land. And one of the purposes of the tribulation is, which is called the time of Jacob or Israel's trouble, is to lead to the purging out of unbelieving Jews uh, so that by the time you get to the end of the tribulation period, then every Jewish person will be a believer because the condition for the second coming is that the Jewish people have to accept Jesus as their Messiah and then call on him to rescue them, and that's what will happen. And so the Jewish people will spiritually, uh, you know, they will look upon him whom they pierce, as Zechariah 12, 10 says, and they will mourn, and they will come to faith in the Messiah, and he will come to rescue them as the whole armies of the world come to attack uh, God's city, Jerusalem, and the Jewish people. And so uh, we point out that what's going on, yes, there's a bunch of unbelievers over there in Israel, but in order for a person to become a believer, you have to be an unbeliever. <laughs> and if the purpose of the tribulation is to lead to the conversion of the nation of Israel so that, as Paul said in Romans 11, uh, 25, that all Israel will be saved, uh, that you have to go through that process. So it makes sense that the current gathering is an unbelief. And so there's some uh, Jews who break the law, who are not nice people, just like in, in regular society, but that doesn't mean they're not God's chosen nation. And then the second regathering will be at the second coming. We see this in Matthew twenty four thirty one, where it says he will send his angels to gather his elect, and in the context, elect refers to Jewish believers, uh, from the four winds of the sky, from one end to the other, to, uh, one end of the earth to the other, and uh, they will be all brought back to Israel to begin the thousand-year millennial reign. And so that's what we're seeing, I think, the first regathering of Israel today, preparation for events that will take place after the rapture of the church. Okay. All right. Very interesting, I must say. Very interesting. Um, just to hear your thoughts on um, how the timeline is. And I never actually looked at it like the entire nation other than those that are unbelievers will be saved so in essence what you're saying is that that nation on a whole will be they'll come to the understanding of who jesus christ is yes and those that don't will be purged out like in ezekiel chapter 20 and ezekiel 22 in other words they'll be removed they'll be killed you have in Zechariah 13, 7, and 8 uh, the comment that two-thirds uh, will be uh, removed and the one-third will be saved of the nation. So apparently, you know, it's uh, two-thirds 
will not become believers, but they'll be purged out. Uh, but the one-third that does, uh, they will, uh, that will result in the fact that all Israel will be saved at the end. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, wow. Yeah, so 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 can, can you give us a like a little rundown of how, why why do the Jewish people belong in the land and, um, so uh, talk about some of the um, the conflict that's over there now and how it got to that that point. Yeah, that's that's a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> well, you can you can you can condense it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to do it, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is, is the Abrahamic covenant, which is almost everyone agrees, it's the core covenant that begins the redemption process. Uh, and there are three major items in the Abrahamic covenant that God is offering, is going to give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants. Uh, a land, a seed, and that there'll be a worldwide blessing. And so we see tied up in that, you know, the fact that uh, we're talking about Israel and all these things over on the other side of the world today, you know, as part of the fulfillment of that covenant, uh, you know, through Jesus Christ. That he is the seed, but he also promises seed, plural. And so that refers to the people of Israel. And so the land promise in Genesis alone to Israel is repeated 20 times in Genesis alone. Uh, For example, in Deuteronomy, it's repeated 58 times. And so there's just no way you could go and read the Bible and let the Bible say what it means and somehow say that, you know, the land promises to Israel have expired. Well, they certainly haven't been fulfilled yet, so you either have to believe they're in the future or somehow God reneged his promise. And, of course, we know God doesn't renege promises, you know, uh, and he's going to fulfill them. And so the Bible, in one sense, is a record of how God is working this out in history. And so uh, what's Israel rejects the Messiah in the New Testament, then he reveals a whole set of new revelation called the mysteries. And most people don't study this stuff. It's like they develop their view of the Bible as if the New Testament mysteries were never revealed to the Apostle Paul. And yet they are, and they tell about the fact that God is temporarily taking Jew and Gentile believers and putting them into one body called the church. And we all know about that. But that the purpose of this is to to call out from among the Gentiles the people for his name. Now, back in Acts 3, where uh, the early church began in Acts 2, and they're just learning what the church is all about, it, it points out that, Christ will be held in the heavens. He's not going to come back until Israel repents. And that's where you learn that uh, Israel is the key to the setting up of the and fulfilling of the earthly promises of like the millennium and all of these kinds of things. And so Israel has been set in a dispersion among the nations, first in AD 70, 
And then again in 135, there was a, another time when Israel, the Jews, gained control of Jerusalem. And Hadrian came and uh, destroyed another half a million Jews in AD 135 at what's called the Perkopta Revolt. And up until that time, there's never been a return to the land of Israel by the Jews. And by the way, there's always been Jews in the land of Israel for the last 4,000 years. Most of them are, are scattered. And as a result, uh, back in the 1880s, there began, became, began a movement of Jews starting to return to the land. And uh, they, that, this is called the, uh, well, it, it wasn't called anything, but it was a, a, a few rabbis, mainly from Eastern Europe, would take his congregation and come back to Israel, and they started doing farming and things like this. And then in World War I, uh, the British wanted to, take over Israel, and a lot of that was due to the Christian influence of giving the land of Israel back to the Jews, because they believed that uh, they had suffered so much at the hands of Christendom. Now, Christendom refers to anything that is related to Christianity, you know, Roman Catholicism, Greek Orthodox, cults, everything, and that Christendom had mistreated the Jews. In fact, one person figured that between the early church beginning and the time of Hitler, about 5 million Jews were killed Christendom. So, you know, it was a pretty rough time. And as a result, uh, the war cabinet of Great Britain issued what's called the Balfour Declaration. In fact, this is the 100th anniversary. It was issued in November 1917. And so 2017 is the 100th anniversary of the issuance of the Balfour Declaration. And as a result, uh, this became Brit Britain's foreign policy. And so in, in December 1919, the British took over Jerusalem. They defeated the uh, Turkish Empire and they took over Jerusalem and Israel. And so instead of them just ruling it, the, they had created recently after World War II the League of Nations, and they had what was called the Paris Peace Conference. And they met to divide the conquered lands up, which included the Turkish Empire. And they decided to have Britain and France oversee the transition of pieces of the Turkish Empire into becoming nations. For example, Mesopotamia was under the British oversight. They're called mandates, and they became uh, Iraq. It took about 10, 12 years, and uh, they used the expression that they were to oversee them becoming a nation like a father oversees a son. And so okay. the French o oversaw Syria becoming a nation and then Lebanon becoming a nation. And it, uh, Br Britain was given the mandate for uh, Palestine, as they called it, which included Jordan at that time as well. Um, mm. they, were, they received a mandate in 1922 to oversee is, uh, 
Palestine becoming a Jewish nation. Now, in 1920, you had the beginning of Arab terrorism. And the guy, Al-Husseini, who was the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, there was the most influential Arab in uh, Palestine, who was the uncle of Yasser Arafat, by the way, he started pogroms or persecuting the Jews. In other words, they'd go in there and kill Jews in the cities and different things like that. In fact, uh, and this is what prevented Britain from uh, transitioning the land like they had other mandates uh, into a Jewish nation. So there should have been a nation of Israel after World War One, you see. And mm. the League of Nations voted 64 to nothing to uh, for Israel to become a nation back then. And so they have all the legal rights, and they even had treaties and agreements and all this other kind of stuff. And this was done at, at a conference called the San Remo Conference in San Remo, Italy. And, uh, in fact, a guy named Jacques Gautier, who's an international lawyer in Toronto, wrote a Ph.D. dissertation uh on international law at the University of Geneva in Switzerland, demonstrating that Israel has all the legal rights to land, and uh, that everybody has human rights, but Israel has the legal right to the land. That and you know that this was founded as international law in April 1920 at the San Remo Conference. Okay, so to make a long story short, by 1935. Uh, there was a civil war that broke out in Israel. Most people aren't aware of this. From 1935 to 1938, 108,000 people were killed in this civil war, mainly Arabs, but you know, 10,000 10, Jews and, and seven or 8,000 British were killed. And uh, so then you had World War II, and there was that time of temporary sympathy, and so you had the, the League of Nations was done away with in 1947, and they passed everything over to the United Nations that was founded in 1947. That included all of the international law that had been made under the League of Nations and passed to the United Nations. And so they voted, uh, I think they didn't need to vote, but Israel was had had so many bad things happen to them uh, under the British rule of them preventing people from Jews from immigrating to Israel, et cetera. They were happy to take anything, so they accepted the vote in November 1947 in San Francisco, where they first met at the United Nations uh, to partition the land, and they were going to give part of it to Arabs and part of it to uh, Jewish people. And so uh, Israel accepted that, and the British had agreed to pull out on May 14, 1948, and that's when Israel declared themselves to be a sovereign nation, and they were attacked the next day by six uh, Arab nations. And so you had the, the War for Independence, which everybody thought Israel would lose, and they won, and, you know, so you have the whole series of wars and everything, and Israel has become such a strong nation militarily that nobody really messes with her in a direct conflict. That's why you have 
the continuation of Arab terrorism to terrorize the Jewish people. So that's kind of a mm. rough overview oh. of, of the development of the modern state of Israel. In fact, when you look back at it, it's like 50 things had to happen all 50, for Israel to become a nation, and 50 out of 50 of those things happened. And it was just no. a miracle, really, when you study the details. And surely God was in it. And one of the things we point out in our book is, that, in fact, uh, B.B. Netanyahu wrote a book called The Place uh, Among the Nations, talking about Israel, in which he says that Israel could have never become a nation without the help of the Christians. And so Christian Zionism, Christian Zionists, you know, we go through and explain the role that a lot of these people play. Uh, everything from Harry Truman, I call him the cussing Baptist from Missouri, to uh, recognize Israel because of his belief in the Bible. You know, mm. things. And you have a lot of those instances there where Christians gave key support at key times. And so Israel's a nation again. And, and we believe that that's related to uh, Bible prophecy. Oh, yeah. When I try to point out to people that um, we're supposed to bless Israel, like the Bible says, they get kind of upset and start talking about all these conspiracies and, you know, the bad things. I mean, of course, they're if they're unsaved, they're going to do bad things. And we, we talked about it earlier. But, you know, I, I point that out sometimes, and you, you just get, you know, interested in reactions, Roy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, I, I think oh, first of all, that was a lot. Um, uh, uh, brief history lesson, uh, that was great. Um, some of the things that popped out, I didn't know that there was a civil war. Never saw that. Right. Um, uh, I, that one got me right there. I was looking at a documentary um, some years ago, and it was talking about in order for Israel to have won that first war, it's a six-day war, if I'm correct. No, that's the uh, War of Independence. The Six-Day War was their third major war. Okay, well, the first war, in order for them to win that first war, like you said, it, it war, was an act yeah, of God. Yeah, the War of Independence, yes. The war of, it was an act of God. They were outnumbered. They were outgunned, uh, everything. So it was just the hand of God that that um, developed that nation in a day. That's, that's yes. number one. Um, the other thing that you said that intrigued me was this terrorism and you said it started from the early 20s now I remember as a little boy I grew up in Jamaica I would remember seeing the terrorists take planes and they would open the front window I remember that probably about five six years ago but I did not know what's that I remember that also yeah yeah but I did not know that um terrorism started from the early 20s and it has progressed yeah. to what we see it is um, today um, if you want to shed a little bit more light on that I, I, I have to go back um, to call the gentleman's name again I have to go back and research um, that particular piece of history yeah I, Al Husseini was was the grand Mufti of Jerusalem and, and I think it was a huge mistake when the British got the mandate they a guy named Samuel, who was Jewish, in charge of uh, Israel, of the mandate for the British, he chose Al Husseini to be the representative of the Arabs. And boy, that was a big mistake. 
But nevertheless, that's what it was. And this guy did nothing but bring resistance against them. In fact, he uh, met with the Nazis. He, you know, there are three or four books out there about how Al Husseini was the Nazis' friend. And he even, during World War II, raised two uh, divisions of Nazi uh, soldiers from uh, among the Arab ranks. And they fought on behalf of uh, Germany in World War II. And he, he uh, went and lived in Berlin during World War II and in some great palatial estate, and he helped plan the final solution, the liquidation of the Jews uh, by the Germans. And he uh, was promised that when the Nazis defeated, you know, the people in World War II, which, of course, they didn't, he was going to become the ruler in the Middle East and in, in, in Israel, and he was going to liquidate the Jews at that point. So uh, you had many Jews from Israel that went and fought for the British. They were called the Palestine Brigade. See, the Jews were originally called the Palestinians, and the mm-hmm. Arabs reje- rejected that term. And it wasn't until 1964 that uh, Arafat's, Yasser Arafat's Czechoslovakian handlers uh, decided to uh, change because if I don't know how old y'all are, but you know I'm 65 and I remember it used to be called the Arab-Israeli conflict, yeah. and then it became in the 80s the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Right. And so Arafat's handlers said, you know, you you guys have no sympathy worldwide. Why don't you become Palestinians, and then you can uh, be the the David instead? You're with the Arab-Israeli conflict. You know, there's 23 Arab nations uh, that are fighting Israel, and so the sympathy is with Israel. And that, sure enough, that turned it around. So they started in 1940. Uh, Palestinian uh, Liberation Organization, and at the suggestion of uh, of their communist handlers, and now they're called Palestinians. As yeah, I remember, Newt Gingrich said a few years ago that the Palestinians are an invented people, and they are. You know, they were just created out of thin air uh, because historically the Arabs, you know, consider themselves Arabs part of southern Syria. They did not identify with uh, the Palestinians because those were the Jews, they thought. <laughs> and so they, to- they totally turned that around, and it's just pure propaganda about them having this ancient claim to the homeland and all that kind of stuff. Now, there are, you know, in fact, a great book by Joan Peters called From Time Immemorial where she went through and showed that most of the so-called Palestinians are Arabs that lived in the land of Israel, immigrated there within one generation, you know, of it becoming a nation. Why did they come there? The same reason people immigrate to the United States. They wanted to get a job because the Arab economy under Sharia law, you know, weren't producing big-time economies for people to have good jobs. Israel comes in there, and they basically started a Western economy and they were very prosperous, and many of the workers that they would hire were Arabs. And so they came from Egypt, from Iraq, from Syria, you know, 
Saudi Arabia, from all those different places all around, and uh, they tried to create this whole uh, narrative that there are some ancient people that have been there from but even before Jesus came and all that. So, yeah. But, you know, she, interesting about Joan Peters, she was a person who was working for the United Nations and she was pro Arab. And she was actually in the bunker with Arafat in 1982 when they had that conflict in Lebanon where he, they had to leave and they went to Tunis. And, uh, she said, when I get out, I'm going to do research and show that the Jews are still in the land from the Arabs. And she went and spent 10 years basically going around to all the county courthouses type where land deeds were and studying, and she found out that that wasn't the case. And she totally flipped and wrote a book defending the Jews called From Time and Memorial. Very interesting <laughs> book. If you want to read all the gory details of who owned what, when, where, and how. You know, yeah. I, I suggest that book. Well, well very that's, a of, that's a lot of great information. And um, we want to just bring out this topic because uh, a lot of people are just not informed on the Jewish state and how, you know, you talk about the third temple. Uh, they're trying to bring, build that back and what that means, you know, in Bible prophecy. And, you know, when it come, when people are just um, illiterate on the subject, they make up all type of wild theories. But we, we have uh, different, so many different um, teachings within Christianity. And one I want to bring up right now, because I know you're not explaining it well, is the kingdom theology. And okay. um, tell, tell us why that's um, not necessarily <laughs> the truth. Well, if you mean things like kingdom now and all of that, yeah, that's right. Because we believe that you know, the Bible talks about uh, God's kingdom and Daniel, for example, his sovereign rule over all mankind, you know, where Nebuchadnezzar in three lessons, you know, early, you know, said that now I know that uh, God is the most high or something like that. You know, it's God's sovereign in history. And we're not talking about uh, that. We're talking about the theocratic kingdom. In other words, I believe it, it, it's what Adam would have done, uh, created had he not uh, fallen. In other words, in the Garden of Eden, in a sense, was the beginning of the kingdom of God where he was supposed to rule over as the vice regent over planet Earth. And, of mm -hmm. course, he sinned, and that's why Satan became the god of this world uh, and why the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came, and he is uh, going to... Uh, that's what history is all about. He's going to take it back, and he's going to reign and rule on earth for a thousand years. That's the kingdom we're talking about, the, king, the theocratic kingdom. And uh, so a lot of people say that the church is the kingdom, and that's what amillennialism and, and postmillennialism and covenant theology all teaches, that it's a spiritual kingdom, and the church is advancing the kingdom as we preach the gospel and all that. Whereas I believe, no, the kingdom, according to Matthew 13, has been postponed. That's what Matthew 13 is all about. It's going to come literally, and Israel's going to be, uh, you can't have the kingdom without Israel back in the land and in a right relationship with God. And that's what uh, Acts 1 talks about. It says that Jesus taught the disciples for 40 days concerning the kingdom of God. 
And then right at the end, before his ascension, they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the season that are in the hands of the Father. Uh, But uh, he didn't say, you've got a wrong view of the kingdom. I'm going to bring in some spiritual form of the kingdom. He said, no, it's not for you to know when. And uh, he had already talked about the postponement of the kingdom in Matthew 13. And as a result, I believe the kingdom is what the Old Testament says it's going to be. And what we're in today is called the church, the church age. The church age is said to be a mystery in three major passages. In Romans 16, the last three verses, and in Ephesians 3, 1 through uh, 13, and then in Colossians chapter 1, 25 through 2, 4, around in there, he says that it wasn't revealed in previous ages or times. And it says that it's, you know, it was always part of God's plan. You know, God doesn't have plan Bs. He doesn't make mistakes. And as a result, uh, it's a whole different era. And what this is, is is what James says it was in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. He said God is taking out from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And he, he says in that sermon in Acts 15 that he then he will return and rebuild a fallen tabernacle of David. In other words, that's a quote out of Amos 9. And the tabernacle of David means he's going to fulfill the Davidic promises uh, for Israel. And when you look at that passage in its context in Amos 9, he says, in the last days he will return and rebuild a fallen tabernacle of David. So James drops out the phrase in the last days under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he adds after these things, after what things? Taking out from among the Gentiles the people of his name. In other words, after the church age, he's going to return and deal with Israel. And so that's when the kingdom's going to come in. But right now, this is an age in which God is, and Paul explains this in Ephesians 2, he's taking the Jewish remnant. There's always a remnant of Jewish believers. In fact, uh, people estimate that as many as 30% of the Jews were con- converted to Christianity in the first century. You know, wasn't a total exception. But, so there's a remnant of Jewish believers, and they're added to us Gentile believers, and we are co-equal in the body of Christ. And that's totally different language than kingdom language. You see, well, Jesus did qualify to be the king. He deserves to be the king right now. But he is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us during the church age. And then he's going to return and uh, actually take over, you know, and be king. But the church age is the time of preaching the gospel and gathering out people who are going to reign and rule with Christ in the future kingdom. And yet people act like, and so this is why they're doing all this emphasis on social issues rather than studying the Bible. And uh, it's been a real, real shift. And I think that's the reason why people, they quit studying the Bible, why they're not pro-Israel anymore, you know? Uh, it, it was due to the study of the Bible after the Reformation that people began to be pro-Israel. And I I was part of the Jesus movement back in the early 70s, and all of the, those people that were getting saved back then were studying the Bible, not all of them, but many of them, 
And that's why uh, my generation has largely been very pro-Israel, because what the Bible says. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, so I don't see the kingdom being now. I see it totally future, and, and we're citizens of the kingdom. Uh, but just like we're citizens of heaven, but have you ever been there yet? No. Uh, it's it's something that uh, is going to be our destiny in the future. And All right. Well, yeah, people right. are using that to shift away uh, to what I call the social gospel result. And, and we as individuals are supposed to, you know, meet believers' needs. I'm not opposed to being involved in culture and society. Uh, but they're forgetting the gospel in the process, many of them. Right. I don't want to name names, but I could name a ton of names. And yeah. especially the, the millennials are moving away from an emphasis on what the Bible says and on evangelism and, and getting out there and boldly preaching the gospel, uh, you know, and telling people, yeah, you're going to get to reign and rule. Yes, Christ is going to change this world one day. But right now, the God of this world is basically in control of the mentality of most people today. And that's the whole point, is we are uh, sacrificing ourselves, hopefully, just as Christ did, uh, you know, in efforts to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So just as Christ's uh, ministry has two phases, his humiliation phase, where he came the first time and died on the cross in order to provide for our sins. Uh, so the Christian is being is in a similar state where we are preaching the gospel. But at the second coming, the second phase of his career, so to speak, is going to be nothing but glory, and he's going to reign and rule in righteousness, and we will too at that time as well. Amen. <laughs> Well, that was an interesting breakdown. Um, Roy, before we move on to the next subject, do um, you have any questions? No, I, I think that was um, extremely thorough um, um, about what you said. Most importantly, um, the studying of God's Word is critical. And you are so right. We encounter a lot of people and you'll hear a lot of this, the young people say, well, we are Christians. And when you dig deeper, you find out that nobody's studying the Word of God. So you're, I mean, you're spot on with that. And um, we see that in, in our own Bible study, where we, we invite some people to just come in. And when we talk about, let's see what the Word says. The Word of God is the sift. In other words, I remember in the old days what they used to do, they would buy flour and they would take it and they would sift it to take out all the impurities. It's the mm -hmm. sift. It's the only thing um, that will stand up against anything out there. And it's, it's, it's just the truth in, 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 in this very essence. It's truth. And we have to learn the word of God. We have to continually renew our minds with God's word. Yeah, and we're seeing, you know, that is Satan's whole goal is to deceive the people, to keep them from believing the truth. You know, and another illustration of this is 
you know, in the Old Testament, you had King David who was anointed king while Saul was still the king. And uh, he had to go and, uh, you know, flee from the attempts of Saul to kill him. And yet David did not come and say, I'm the king, you know, and try to exalt himself. Instead, he knew that God was going to exalt him in due time. And so he was anointed king, and it wasn't until seven years later when Saul was removed from this world that David actually began serving as king. And I think that's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's certainly qualified to be king. He has 100% victory on the cross and deserves to be the king, but he he is first calling out uh, people, and it says there in Samuel that he was uh, getting people uh, who were owed taxes and all this other stuff. In other words, uh, people who were not part of Saul's kingdom, and they followed him around, and when he entered into his kingdom, they became what the Hebrew calls the Yibberim, the mighty men, or as they were raised mm-hmm. and ascended right. to reigning and ruling with Christ. And, and I kind of think that's the picture that we have today. And God is so kind and gracious. It's been 2,000 years that he's calling out more and more people, you know, to be part of his church, the bride of Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So um, you have another book. Uh, that you told me about earlier. Can you t- tell us the title and explain what this book is about? Well, it's called Charting the Bible Chronologically. Uh, you may be aware that we had a book, Tim LaHaye and myself, uh, came out about 15, 16 years ago called Charting the End Times. And so we, I came up with the idea that, you know, we ought to do one of charting the Bible chronologically because and so uh, the publisher agreed, and it came out about three months ago, and it's by Ed Heinsohn and myself. And just like charting the end times, we have a big fold-out chart at the beginning of the book that goes from eternity past to eternity future. And it's a whole timeline of the Bible. And I have found that people that take prophecy literally tend to take Genesis literally. In other words, we believe just as the Bible uh, is to be interpreted literally, meaning according to the letter. That's what literal means, according to what's written in the text. When it says Israel, it means Israel. You don't come in and bring the church and replace it. See, that's called allegorical interpretation, where you bring an idea that you have from outside the text and you impose it over what was written in the text. See, that's allegorical yeah. interpretation. And so we believe that the Bible's to be taken literally from Genesis to Revelation, and that the six days of creation were literal 24-hour days, and that God created the world in six days, and we believe that the, you know there's 39 genealogies in the Bible. Did you know that? And only two uh, of them have, n- have numbers attached to them. And the numbers are found, uh, attached to genealogies are found in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. And guess what? That tells you how old the earth is. It's a little over 6,000 years old. 
And so if mm. you were to add up the age that the person was that had the, the son from which the descent in Genesis 5, you know, there's a running total that ends up being 1,656 years till the flood, from creation to the flood. Well, you can check your math, so to speak, by adding how old Adam was when Methuselah was born, which was 687 years, and the fact that Methuselah uh, died the year the flood came, and he lived to be 969 years, and you come up with, you add those two together, and it comes up to 1,656, the same exact total. So it demonstrates that there are no chronological gaps in the genealogy because people that want to have an old earth and all of this, they try to find gaps and say, well, we don't know if that's reliable. And then you can add the genealogies in Genesis 11 that talk about after the flood and, and, and brings you up to the time, time of Abraham, and that's about 2,000 years. And so from Abraham on is 2,000 years up to the time of Christ, and then we know from the time of Christ up to our times about 6,017 years or something like that. I'm, I'm on the sideline, and I'm calling a timeout. I'm calling, I'm calling a timeout. Why am I saying that? <laughs> I'm holding up the T. I don't know. I don't know if you're a football fan. You got to go back over that again because I. That is um, phenomenal. So you're saying, based off of the information that we have in Genesis five and Genesis eleven, we can actually tabulate the years before the flood, prior to the flood, and also in Genesis 11, the years after the flood. Yes, up to uh, calling of Tira, which is Abraham's father, and then we know when Abraham was born. You know, okay. says that. Yeah, we have a master timeline that takes you all the way from Genesis to creation in 4004 B.C., uh, continuously all the way up to the present day, mm. Mm. and th- and then okay. we throw in future prophecy, which we don't know when that's going to begin. And so, you know, we have the rapture, we have the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period, then the millennium, thousand years, and then the Great White Throne Judgment, and then into eternity future. So the Bible you know, is God's plan for history. It, it, it tells you all this stuff. And when you take it literally, you know, it, it, it gives you a framework uh, for what is possible and not possible. You know, this idea of billions and billions of years ago is not possible. Yeah, that, that's what I was, that's the next thing wow. I was going to say, because it, it, they give you these millions and billions. You can't even reach that, even with your imagination, you know? Right. And yes. with this, with what you're outlining, it's it's actually reachable. You can actually, okay, so most people say that um, the, the history of man goes back 4,000 years, right? Whether that's right or wrong, it's actually reachable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 68 what? million years ago, a dinosaur, whatever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, okay. the Bible has so, uh, answers to all of that. Go ahead. No, no, and, and that, go ahead. You continue. That's where I was going. Well, 
Yeah, this the, would be some Bible, a question that somebody would ask. Like, where Where are the dinosaurs from? Then I, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna ask you about the dinosaurs, and I have to ask you about things like the pyramids, um, some of those things. So I'll, I'll well, sit back and listen. Yeah, we didn't deal with the pyramids and the thing or the dinosaurs, but I do know this that dinosaurs are reptiles, and they grow, reptiles grow proportionally their entire life. You know, we grow as humans, you know, for the first however many years, let's say 16 to 18 years, and then we <laughs> grow out, as some would say. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so some of these reptiles, you know, the Bible says every breathing animal was taken on the ark. So if you're going to, if you're going to, if you know, you're not going to take some giant you know, dinosaur on there, you're going to take a baby or a smaller one, you know, you know what I'm saying? And uh, then they became extinct, many of them, because of the harsher environment, because uh, the Bible indicates that this was a further cursing of the earth at the flood. So God cursed the earth, and we believe, you know, it, the Bible says it didn't rain before the flood. So you had right. kind of like artesian wells that would water the ground with a mist every day. And mm-hmm. it's very possible there was only a single landmass, you follow? And um, you have the cursing of the earth, this violent destruction of the earth. It's called a cataclysm. The flood was in Second Peter 3. And the fountains of the deep broke open and all of this. And... Um, in Genesis 10:25, it talks about a guy named Peleg. For, it says, "For in his days was the earth divided, and perhaps yeah. Yeah. Uh, the earth was either split up into what we have now, either during the flood or after the flood, shortly after the flood, as part of the Tower of Babel to keep people separate because they would only join together in rebellion against God." And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have you have a whole. Uh, framework that can be developed from scripture about history and the flood and none of it contradicts real facts and information. Well, I've watched a lot of documentaries on, on creationism and a lot of it a lot of it makes sense. And, and even when you mentioned, you know, most of the dinosaurs died off and then, you know, we know there's evidence of them of some being around after the flood because of we have carvings in yes. Cambodia and other places. Um, that's so yeah, that man Job, did live. Book, Go ahead. Yeah, the book of Job mentions a couple of dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is this is this is the, the type of thing that um, you know. It's, it's like I don't know what's going on in many of the churches. There's, there's many different reasons for whatever, right? But people need mm-hmm. to you know try to get some of this education to you know to throw away a lot of the lies. Because yeah. a lot of people are getting taught lies, and we us on the show we try to expose a lot of things, you know. Um, but at the same time, we we have to be so careful in what we're talking about because a, a small lie can turn into a big one, you know. Yes. And mm-hmm. we just grateful for people like you that um, actually, well, you have degrees in, in in theology, and you know you can actually break a lot of this down for us instead of. You know, we just speculating, you know? Yes. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it also says 
uh, sorry, it also says in, in Jude that we should contend for the faith. Contend, we have to fight for what the Lord has given us. You know, he has given us something that's wonderful. And, I, and, and you know, I agree with Chris. People are not reading the word. And sometimes you are going to, you go to some places or you'll see people saying that they're worshiping. And when you look at the Bible and you look at what they're doing, they're two totally different things. That's right. So and, we have to and, for the faith. When you read the Bible, you have to uh, think about it literally. In other words, when he talks about people that lived an average of 930 years before the flood, you know, I mean, that's real data, that's real information, you see. And it was part of the curse to shorten the lifespan because it says every thought of man's heart was only evil continuously before the flood. And then after the flood, it repeats that. It says every thought of man's heart was only evil continuously. So, I mean, just think of what kind of criminal you could become if you had an average of 930-year lifespan. Yeah. You could could be a real mature sinner by then. I mean, goodness gracious. And uh, so God had to have restraints in there. And one of the things that, I learned from a friend of mine that I put in the book is called the divine institutions. And, uh, this is chapter, uh, five and it shows, you know, it's a way of summarizing what God built in the creation and man's basic responsibilities before the, uh, before the fall and the sin. Now they continue to be our responsibilities. And the first is individual responsibility. You know, that deals with individual choices and labor. You know, in other words, things that you're individually responsible for. For example, uh, a person is individually responsible for accepting or rejecting Christ today. You know, that's something your mother can't do, your parents can't do, the government can't do it for you, and certainly wouldn't. (laughs) But (laughs) nevertheless, uh, you know, so you have that. Then you have, secondly, marriage, male and female. See, God designed marriage. God created the first, had the first wedding ceremony, you know. And uh, that is where sexuality uh, was designed uh, to function. And then, thirdly, you have the family. And God created the family for training, and it's the institution, uh, along with individual person, for wealth. And so it's that's supposed to pass on to the next generation. And then after the fall and after the flood, God had two more divine institutions that he instituted. First is civil government, because there wasn't civil government before. There was just tribalism, I I assume. And uh, civil government was given the death penalty to help restrain evil, because God, you know, is not going to personally intervene in history like he did at the flood. So civil government was given the sword. Uh, You see that before the flood of the angel who had the sword protecting the way into the Garden of Eden. And that refers to capital punishment. And that is supposed to uh, keep society from becoming so bad, you know, that that it becomes chaotic. And then Mm -hmm. fifthly is what I call... uh, 
nationalism or tribal diversity. In other words, instead of the flood, God wiping out everybody at the flood, he uses nation against nation. And it would be like, so different people groups are pitted by God against other people groups who become uh, pagan and culturally culturally, uh, degraded. You see that with Sodom and Gomorrah being wiped out by God personally. You see, they became involved in homosexuality and things like that so bad that God wiped them off the face of the earth. Now, he doesn't do that uh, throughout history. He did it early on to show that, uh, you know, a society and a culture, as Paul describes in Romans 1, can can get where uh, people are not ever going to respond to the word of God. And so he right. uses, for example, uh, World War II is a clear example of Germany becoming so dictatorial and spreading that, that God used the Western Alliance, the United States and others, to defeat the Nazis, you see, to maintain some degree of stability. Because what is God doing now? Well, we learn in Acts 17 that God is has made from one people uh, – nations, and he's determined their times and boundaries so that they may seek after God. And we know from Romans and the Old Testament that no one seeks after God, no, not one. So God is determining the rise and falls of nations when they, you know, to maximize the preaching of the gospel. And so these are just some principles that we, you know, we were able to summarize and lay out. And it gives a framework uh, to look at man's responsibility, uh, you know, during these times. And we talk about the different genealogies and the fact that, uh, well, you know, some things are are hard to mention without looking at the charts. So (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But we go all the way through uh, the early Genesis up to – through Israel's history and all of this and show, you know, the patriarchs and we show the time of, of Israel's history from bondage to Exodus and all these are broken down. And like I said, we had one master fold-out, 38-inch chart uh, in the front of the book that gives you a visual idea of the sweep of all entire history from eternity past to eternity future. And, for example, we have a timeline on the nation of Israel and uh, the different books of the Bible, the conquest and chaos theory, you know, we break them down, the Old Testament prophets and all of this. And it's just real good information, I think, uh, to uh, have available, you know, and it's coffee table type book, you know, that you can put on your coffee table or hardback. And it also includes the prophetic aspects in the future, you know, of what's going to happen in the future. We have a thing on the intertestamental period, the life of Christ, and a chronology of the New Testament church is found in the book of Acts. We have a timeline for the book of Revelation, how that's going to play out and all of these kinds of things. So that's what this book is about. So speaking of timelines, you see how the world is getting chaotic. And uh, I think all of us here in the room have lived long enough to see it change very quickly. What are your thoughts on what's happening today? How close we are to, um, well, you know, let me not ask you too many at one time. What are your thoughts on where we are today as far as end time Bible prophecy? 
well, of course, my perspective, you know, uh, is from that as an American. Right. And uh, just what I've seen in our country, as I've said, I think twice before in the program, I'm 65 years old. So uh, I believe, for example, this last presidential election, one of the major issues was nationalism versus globalism. Right. You know, uh, I think the Obama administration and the Clinton administration was going to continue this thrust toward globalism. And you see all kinds of people upset, you know, that uh, we now have a guy who's a nationalist, you know, in the United States. And and I believe in nationalism, as I just explained, because of the divine institutions. Because it, it because Satan's whole goal is moving toward what? Toward him being the dictator over the whole world during the tribulation. And right. we see that 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 is moving generally in that direction. Uh, everybody today in colleges and universities all believe in globalism. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about Christians, but uh, or people who think biblically, because some Christians even support that, unfortunately. The fact, the, the fact of the matter is, is that's where we're going to be headed eventually, and uh, we saw uh, a disruptor, you know, with our current president, and uh, he's getting all kinds of hell, you know, breaking out over him, you know, and resistance yeah. because the 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 psyche and the mentality of the world is they want to we want to be global, we everything's got to be global, socialism, communism. It's going to make everybody equal and all of this kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, Christians turned out in the United States and had a record turnout in this last election, and they voted, you know, like 83% for nationalism versus globalism. So that was good, I think. And uh, as a result, perhaps we're seeing a little restraint. But I tell you, What's going to happen is when the other side gets back in, they're going to be a whiplash toward globalism like you've never seen. And we oh, see yeah. all, all yeah. the, you know, just just think if the rapture happens, you know, there would be no, no one left but those who believe in globalism just about. And, uh, well, there 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 would be some that aren't into that, but it would, wouldn't have much resistance left to it. And, so we see the European Union is some kind of preparation for the revived Roman Empire that the Antichrist is going to head up. And yeah, people are wanting out of it, but it fits perfectly into uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 2 where it says it's iron mixed with clay. The clay doesn't adhere to the iron. The iron is the totalitarianism that the Roman Empire has, you see. But the clay is the desire to break up into national entities, you see. And they're gonna and so they they're attempting to uh bring Europe together, but there are those that don't want to do it. You see what I'm saying? And it's mm-hmm. not gonna be till the Antichrist gets control that they're gonna have, you know, this ten nation confederacy that is gonna be it says seven of those nations will be persuaded uh, to get into this confederacy, but three will be taken over militarily. See? So, mm-hmm. so we're seeing all of this stuff move in that direction. Religiously, you know, we're seeing apostasy like we've never seen in, in Christianity. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, uh, 
the departure from the faith. The Bible <laughs> doesn't have specific prophecies relating to the church age. It's just got general trends, and the general trend is that the gospel is going to be preached, going to go global, but as the church gets bigger and bigger and bigger, Christendom, then it becomes increasingly apostate. And this is what we're seeing. All the apostate forms of Christianity want to merge with all the other religions, you see. But if, if you keep the emphasis on the historical fact that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for sinners, you can't do that. So they have to take the gospel out and move into social issues or psychological issues and, and, and this ecumenicalism is getting bigger and bigger even within uh, you know, so-called American evangelicalism. And you see Russia and that coalition that's going to invade Israel one day of Iran, of Turkey, and those nations coming together like mm-hmm. never before. And, uh, you know, so I I see all these stage setting uh, things going on. And, uh, in fact, that Israel's back in the land as God's super sign, as we've already talked about, you know, that he's getting ready to do something. And so I think we're living, you know, right before uh, the Lord will come and take the church out so that he can move history forward with the events in the seven-year tribulation culminating in his glorious return and reign for a thousand years. Right. I agree um, because I see that my personal belief, I think Rory will concur, is that time is very short, very, Mm -hmm. very short. And um, what we see building up is a a great technocracy that is just like, it's like just waiting to just take over, but it's just that everything is just not prepared yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of all this spying and able to do this. You know, uh, me and a friend wrote a book back in the mid-'90s called The Coming Cast of Society. And, uh, you know, heck, that's been 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of what we said, you know, is happening. Others, you know, not quite there. But we we don't believe the mark of the beast is going to be a chip in your skin because it's going to be, you know, the the, the Greek word there is it means like a brand or a tattoo. We think it's going to be a mark on upon the outside of the skin, you know, the right hand mm-hmm. or forehead. But yeah. it mm-hmm. says that he he is going to. You have to be able to to had the mark to buy or sell in the second half of the tribulation last mm-hmm. certain half year. And so the, the original language there has the connotation that he's not just going to attempt to do that, he's actually going to do that. So that's where I think uh, putting a chip under your skin or some electronic way of keeping up with everybody is being developed right now, like you were saying. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be part of it. Uh, so I think it's probably you're probably going to have chipping or something like that in conjunction with that, as he you know it tries to impose uh, loyalty to him uh, during the tribulation. But the Bible says if anybody takes the mark of the beast, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And I remember uh, back in the early '70s, a group out of San Antonio had a song. Uh, about the beast, and it had a little phrase in there, don't take the number, don't take the number. 
that's gonna, that's going to be the issue. It, it, only Christians will be strong enough during the tribulation to not take that number. We mentioned earlier about the globalism and how when this when it when it shifts back and the, the rapture happens that many will go towards it and 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 that's what I see. And then we have the other part where because obviously they're going to be people that fight against what we call the new world order or globalism or the one world government. Uh, they might try to go off grid or whatever it may be. And I just see like in that period we're talking about, you know, you got people that want to prepare and there's nothing wrong with preparing for danger and hurricanes and stuff like this. But in that period, I think we, we can't even imagine what type of technical uh, the, the, like drones and things like that or whatever they have to see where you are. We don't, we have no idea what it's going to be like. Right. We don't. And, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know about, well, other people, but if I were to somehow go through the tribulation, which I don't, I sincerely don't believe I will because of God's grace and promises, but I would want to be out among the people preaching the gospel. I wouldn't want to be hunkered down in some cave trying to survive. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and I think I think that's what Christians historically have done. They've been out there trying to minister the gospel, you know, to folks. Right. Even, um, Paul, I think it was Paul that said he faced death daily. Yes. So he, sure he was con- continually preaching. Rory, go ahead. I'm just agreeing totally with what you're saying. I think it's, um, you, you've, you've hit so many points. There's so many things that you have, you have hit. It's, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, to see that, I think number one, one of the things you said was that this uh, we have had a, a reprieve basically, where the Christians came out and they voted, but the other people are, are they're highly upset, they don't like it, and I think, like you said, this pushback that is coming, and it won't be coming from um, there's just a nation, but it'll be coming from pretty much all over the world because we saw the Pope getting involved. In the election, we saw many people or many leaders, world leaders, saying that, hey, it's it's time for you to, uh, he's, um, this gentleman shouldn't be running for president. Yeah, and I I think that uh, what you're seeing is, is people becoming more and more aware, uh, for example, of American culture uh, was a application at many points, not at every point, of biblical Christianity, you know, of Old Testament values that many of the Puritans implemented and stuff like this. And they're becoming, you know, uh, unbelievers are becoming more and more aware and they're rebelling at every point against what represents God. Everything from their sexual identity, you talk about a basic rebellion, you know, I was born a man, but I'm a woman, you know, and it's just uh, more and more consistency in their rebellion against God, because that's that's what's going to happen in the tribulation. It's going to be God versus Satan, and uh, I believe in in Revelation 6, where it talks about the sky will be rolled back like a scroll, and the earth dwellers, that's a term 
used in Revelation 11 times to refer to unbelievers of the tribulation period, are going to see the Lamb and God the Father sitting on the throne, and they're going to say, who's going to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb? You see, mm. And so I think that's a theophany. And people in the tribulation are going to know that this is God versus man. And we're seeing this come out, that these people are, are making fun of Christians today like they never have in Hollywood. And, and it's, it's, you know, they're, they're wanting to corrupt their children. They're wanting to rebel against, uh, you know, what they see as oppressive biblical standards and things that our country used to be, you know, hold up. And all of this, it's just like never before, you know, there's this uh, polarization that's taking place. And it's around the Bible, around God, and things of God. Yeah. You know, um, just going back to the, the presidential issues for a second, while correlating with what you're saying here, is um, we didn't understand how far we, 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 we've gone until the elections happened. Because everything that came after that was like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? You know, it was just like a nightmare. And it's still going on in some sense. Oh, yeah, very much so. Who knows? I mean, we could have riots, you know, daily at, at some point in the future. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, they were like... talking about there, there's supposed to be an event coming up uh, for May Day, May 1st. Oh, there's wow. A huge, huge event that's 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 supposed to be coming. I don't know how true it is, but that's what I, that's what I've heard. And we have to continually pray for our nation, pray for our leader. That's what the, the word of God calls for us to do. So we have to continually um, do that. Yeah. yeah spread the word of God. It's very hard to preach the gospel in the middle of a riot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you got George Soros, you know, that thing they had yesterday about Women's Day or something, you know, they were yeah. all supposed to stay home. George yeah. Soros gave $264 million to fund that. Wow. I mean, wow. we, we've got people funding this stuff. You know, it's, this stuff doesn't just happen. You know, right. and that's what I'm saying. Uh, people... Uh, and they're not even Americans, you know, outsiders who want to fund the decline of America for some kind of global uh, initiative, you see, that uh, they feel they've got it, whether it's environmentalism, mm-hmm. you know, that they believe that we're ruining the planet, you know, and so uh, to save the planet, they've got to do away with Christianity, because Christianity believes in the cultural mandate and all of this, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. And and that's where the Jews, in fact, I have a friend coming full circle, so to speak, from what we began talking about. I have a friend who wrote a book called Nazi Oaks, and he showed that the, not, the Nazis were heavy into environmentalism. Uh, you know, they were going to depopulate Poland. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. To yeah. be a, rec- a recreational yep. area for the Nazis, for the Germans, you see. And part of that was killing the Jews because the Jews believed in the cultural mandate, you know. And instead of letting uh, nature take over and all of this, he has two chapters in there showing that the modern environmentalist movement 
uh, fits exactly what the Bible describes as Baalism in the Old Testament, worship of nature. Mm-hmm. Which, and, and that's where we're at. Yeah, it's disturbing. Absolutely. It's disturbing <laughs> because it, it, you know, speaking of Baalism, we have um, Islam, Islamic terrorists telling their fighters to eat their captives, wow. eat their their victims. It's, it's just sick. Why are they saying I, that? I have no idea. I didn't even do a lot of research into it. I just saw it and kind of like left it alone. You know. Wow. So uh, for for me, all I said was, okay, this is just demonic. I mean, the, the whole belief system is. in Islam is demonic, anyway. But now you add this, and you and you see where can, the word cannibal uh, or cannibalism came from is a form of Baal, Baal worship, going back to the Canaanites. Ah, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, you know, you know, you know, um, Doctor, what you just said. You talk about this is the Baalism. Um, I think last year, both in New York and in Paris, they wanted to put the the gates of the Temple of Baal. Am I correct, Chris? They yes. wanted to erect the temple, the doorposts, so to speak, or the doorway in New York and in France. They did, they did so it in New York. Worship, they finally did it. They did it. They, yeah, in they New did York, it in yeah. New York. So that is it. It's it. It continues till today. People are still doing the same things that they were doing before. Well, I guess Satan, you know, drives people in the same same old stuff, you know, over time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, amazing. I, I I think it's amazing the times that we're living in. Uh, when I was yeah. younger, you know, growing up in the 80s and well, 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, I'm, I'm always hearing about, about about Bible prophecy and what would happen. And it's a, a light started turning on around 95 and then 2000. Mm-hmm. And then 2007, it was like, whoa, something isn't right. Let me start researching. And the amount of things that are going on from the Jewish people to worldwide upheaval to technology to Hollywood the cultural differences and the mishmash of religion that's going on there. So many things going on. Well, uh, they come out with this movie, The Shack. Yeah. The Shack. You know, it's some movie and, and a bunch of these uh, Christian right organizations are supporting it. It's, ter- it's yes. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing but pure heresy. Yeah. Some of the same organizations that promoted the movie Noah. Yes. Oh, that's a terrible movie. Yeah. Yeah. The director comes out and says, this is the most unbiblical, biblical movie ever made. So (laughs) why are you promoting this? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, that guy uh, who did the movie, you know, was no believer, but it's amazing what Christians fall for nowadays. You know, just anything that goes down the pike, apparently that's a so-called faith-based movie, you know, they, they fall for it. Yeah, yeah. Even um, the, the movie Son of God is teaching like a New Age Jesus. He's doing all sorts of magic tricks and, <laughs> you know, weird <laughs> things. <laughs> and and it's made by a person that, that went to college to practice the New Age or learn about the New Age and get her, her degree, yeah. Roma Downey. So, yeah. you know, we live in some very interesting times. Um, but, you, you know, 
I just want you to kind of like illustrate some more for this audience because uh, this is going to go to, uh, you know, go out to people that have never heard this before. Some have, and you know, I, we're so biblically illiterate these days, and even I'm learning more as I read every day. But at least I'm reading every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you, you brought up some points earlier about the book you wrote uh, or co-wrote about the cashless society. And, and that's yeah. that's a topic that many people don't believe has actually happened, but we have Sweden almost cashless. Right. So if you could bring up a couple of points. They're, they're also testing it in India, too. So it's, it's, right. it's becoming more and more popular as we, we, we go ahead. Yeah, and, and that is part of uh, the New World Order, you know, that they want where uh, instead of depending on the the American dollar, for example, the petrodollar, as they call it, being the world currency of trade, you know, they want uh, to merge everybody into a single thing, you know, and uh, like the euro was a forerunner of that kind of thing. And so that will then allow uh, the globalist, these elite, uh, whoever they are, uh, to control the currencies, you see. And uh, we had a lecture, you know, I have an organization called the Preacher of Research Center, and we just had our 25th annual conference. And a few years ago, we had a guy who was an international banker from Canada who's retired, you know, about how even Switzerland is part of this international thing. Switzerland historically has had gold backing their currency. And uh, even they, in order to participate in the, the global marketplace, which they have to do, they believe, you know, you have to to float your currency, um, you know, on some kind of international market thing, you know. And so that removes you from having gold and silver or something solid backing your currency to just uh, being uh, going up and down in relation to other currencies, you see. Now, China doesn't do that, and uh, there's a whole move to try to get them to do that and everything uh, because they don't have an honest currency. Uh, and that's very upsetting to people like Donald Trump and, and other things like that because if, if and it's backed by gold, I think they have they have a lot of gold backing that. They do. They, they bought a lot of gold. Who else bought? A lot? Russia has bought a lot of gold as well. But the point is, is everybody now is part of this international thing that could one day, very easily, almost overnight, uh, do away with cash, and and you would have a cashless society. In fact. One of the African countries is on the verge of being cashless. You know, they're a very poor uh, country, and you wouldn't think that they would uh, be there, but they are because of the cell phones. You see, everybody's using cell phones. They're creating all this stuff. It's just, you know, fit in thin air. And uh, when you have that kind of uh, exchange, then certain people, the central bank, so to speak, or bankers can control all of that. And yeah. uh, and it can shut people out. Now, when you read the book of Revelation, you know, it talks about Babylon. By the way, I believe Babylon means Babylon. 
You know, it's used over 350 times in the Bible. It's not a code word for Rome or anybody else or the United States, in my humble opinion. Uh, but Babylon is going to be, the city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt in the last days and become the capital of the Antichrist, I think, during the tribulation. And Babylon is the source, it says. This is what it says in chapter 17 is the mystery that Babylon is the mother of harlots. In other words, uh, it's where uh, the Tower of Babel is where all of the, this rebellion against God began. In other words, harlotry is someone who's unfaithful. And it's used spiritually there to talk about how false religious, uh, centralized government, and trade. There's something, I don't know what it is, but there's something about international trade that's related to Babylon in some way. And it probably, I'm sure it involves this coming cast of society and all of this kind of stuff. And God's going to judge all of this, you know, during the tribulation. And mm-hmm. so there's something about international trade that is a vehicle for uh, conveying global governments. You see what I'm saying? And I I don't think trade is pictured in the Bible as being wrong, but it's it's some form of internationalism that's involved, you know, with trade that brings men into some global thing. You know, forget the government for a moment. Through trade, everybody becomes, you know, moving toward internationalism just through trade. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so apparently it's some kind of vehicle there in the Bible that's talked about as coming to a peak during the tribulation. In fact, it talks about the sins of Babylon have risen so high they've reached heaven. (laughs) And yeah. God's finally going to judge them during this time and things like this. So I don't know what all's involved in all of that, but there's something there, and it's tied in, I think, to some cashless society and all of this kind of where the elites control. And you know, that's that is the political issue of our day. Are we going to have even America, which was designed based on Christian principles, to to uh, it's it's the first nation in the history of the world that was created from ideas, you know, an idea, not just simply representing a people group, if you know what I'm saying. And as a result, it was the idea of trying to mimic the Mosaic Law, where God had a contract with a covenant with His people, and so that enables. Uh, our constitution, for example, not that it was handed down from heaven, it wasn't. It's not a covenant with God, but it's the idea that no one is above the law. Everybody is under the law and has an equal standing in uh, in the law, even though a person may hold an important position, you know, like a general in the military. Everybody is equal before God. And that, that's what our nation was founded on. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's being destroyed by the idea of getting elite people back in control of things again. See, and that's what, we, that's what the battle in this country is bringing about. And those elites want to have all these international corporations, international trade. I'm not saying international corporations are necessarily bad. 
but right. it it fosters the idea of no loyalty to a particular people group or nation, you see. And so that's bringing in this idea of internationalism, uh, and it's going to solve all of our problems rather than depending on God and things like we had when our nation was first founded by, you know, we had 167 years of colonialism where the people, you had to be a Christian even to run for government. You had to believe in the Trinity even. <laughs> you know, people yeah. that made the movie The Shack wouldn't qualify, you know, <laughs> to run for government back, back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and things, and, and that's what it meant that the federal federalism, federal government was not going to require religious tests. You know, uh, and wasn't going to impose any particular religion on the nation at the national yeah. level, and that that even allowed for states to continue. For example, Virginia was Anglican, uh, and uh, it continued until the 1800s. You know, they finally did away with that at the state level. You see, but now we're being told that you know we don't have any kind of Christian. Form formation in our country and all of this and they're wiping it out in fact I think what you see is wherever you had strong Christianity in a nation the reaction is even stronger than those that didn't have it you see what I'm saying whereas the whiplash is more severe and and so we're probably going to see some of the worst stuff happen in the United States is a whiplash against you know, the, the Christian foundation that our nation once had. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. We talked about a lot, and I, I just want to turn our focus now to the Church of Jesus Christ. And one question I have is, do you see any sort of, well, revival is brought, by, brought on by the Holy Spirit, but do you have any, I guess, any, um, are you optimistic about any revival happening within the American church or the church worldwide? Yeah, I, I mean, I do see, uh, I went to China a few years ago and they showed me 50,000 people. They say a day are coming to Christ. Now I don't think everybody, you know, is becoming a believer, but there's obviously something going on over there. You right. know? Yeah. Uh, in India, you have uh, a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. I think in the early 70s, you had a revival of some level in the United States, and we're just not seeing it today, mm-hmm. you know, for the current generation. And as a result, uh, things are going downhill unless God says revival. I don't think there's any way to predict one way or the other uh, a revival because as Jonathan Edwards wrote, you know, of, of this, uh, his uh evaluation of the first great awakening in America was entitled the surprising conversion of sinners at Northampton, Massachusetts <laughs> is the surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Charles Finney came along in the so-called second great awakening and supposedly he could manufacture revival by doing certain things. And I don't buy that. You can't, right, you right. can't right. do that. It's a surprise uh, mm-hmm. back in and like, like, you know, because it's something God does supernaturally. Right. You know, 
anybody coming to faith in Christ is supernatural. God, it's a miracle. God coming in and and, and, and enabling us to believe and changing our sinful hearts. And the Bible says every thought of man's heart was only evil continuously. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, it takes a miracle. That's the only reason you and I are uh, believers today is God has done something. But I don't know if there's going to be a revival or not. I do know in the tribulation there is going to be a revival. You know, Mm -hmm. it talks about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And as a result, it says in Revelation 7 that from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, a term that's used uh, seven or eight times in Revelation to describe everybody, Gentiles, all the Gentiles, uh, it says a number too great to be numbered is going to be the result of that. And later on in chapter 9, it talks about a 200 million man army. So I think it's got to be more than 200 million if it's a number mm. too great to be numbered. So hundreds of millions of people in the tribulation are going to be saved. But the church age, we don't know. There are mm. only general trends. The general trend is prophesied that the gospel is going to spread globally and that the church will become increasingly apostate. That's what we know, and that's why it says for pastors to protect the flock, to teach the word and protect the flock, and uh, preach the gospel. You know, get out there and do that. And help believers mature, and God will cause social rise or fall or, you know, he will adjust the nations to maximize, you know, the preaching of the gospel and stuff. And so I don't know. I have no way of predicting. Uh, you know, yes, I think there are regional areas. Uh, South America, I've been to Brazil a number of times, and they're up in the 40% range now of Protestants. And they used to be, uh, 25 years ago, just single digits, you see. Yeah. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of bad yeah. things happening down there uh, religiously or spiritually, but there's a lot, definitely a lot of good things going on. Uh, and God, you know, God's at work uh, saving Muslims. And they say, you know, the gospel has made an impact in Pakistan and Afghanistan for the first time since before Islam, you know. And so we're seeing something happen there. Uh, we're seeing the you know, even if the George Bush's effort to <laughs> democratize these Islamic countries, you know, is a failure, which it is, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think it was crazy, crazy to attempt that. Uh, we're seeing the gospel, though, has gotten into a lot of these countries, and yeah. people are belie- believing. You have a whole satellite system called Sat Seven, Satellite Seven, that broadcast into Islamic countries in Arabic four or five different stations that one station does nothing but teach the Bible. One station does nothing but uh, preach the gospel. Uh, One station does nothing but have children's programs on there. And they cannot block those if you have a satellite system. Incredible. of the Arabs in the 1040 window, as it's called, uh, have that kind of stuff. And so the gospel's getting out, you know, but at the same time, you know, we could go down the list of all the apostasy that's on the rise and false teachings. 
and the coming together of religions and you know all of this kind yep. of stuff. And so we're seeing both, uh, but the gospel is getting out. That's a good rundown because uh, because we're in America, we don't get to see some of these things, and we don't travel often. Um, we we don't see what God is doing around the world. We hear about some things, but you know, just to start to to gather the information, we see something incredible going on, even in these turbulent times. Um, well, you know, they I saw recently that a survey said eighty percent of evangel of missions is still coming from the United States. In other words, of all missions throughout the world mm-hmm. is supplied by the United States. So we're still having an impact in this country, but the younger people are just not getting on board like previous generations have. And so we're seeing a decline, decline of support for Israel, decline of uh, support of the preaching of the gospel. They're interested in other things for some reason. All right. Well, as far as my experience, I've, I've seen many churches try to be too relevant and they bring in what the world is doing. And, and most of the kids, there are not really paying attention to the word of God. They're paying attention to a lot of yeah. other things. And that stuff has been brought into the church. Yes. Psychology. Or, 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 yeah. Right. Like, like you said, my brother, a, a, a lot of programs, I like a lot of psychological programming that's being done instead of the Word of God. That's right. The 12 steps is of the gospel, sanctification stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was looking at uh, some of the books that you um, helped to co-write, and one of them is um, Overrun by Demons. Um, yes. The Church New Preoccupation with the Demonic. Can, can you go into that just a little bit? So, to, oh, it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, that was a book we had with the three different uh, editions. Uh, first, it came out as a Holy Rebellion Strategy for Spiritual Warfare, been overrun by demons. And then Kriegel picked it up uh, for about 10 years called What the Bible Teaches About Spiritual Warfare. And we were, you know, pointing out that uh, some, you know, with the rise of Frank Peretti and all of this stuff is what motivated us. And we show that the Bible teaches a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. And we believe that there is spiritual warfare, but primarily it's, you know, like in Second Corinthians um, 10, it talks about that is mainly uh, doctrinal, you know, pulling down the strongholds. The strongholds are, have to do with uh, what you believe, how you think, you know, being taken captive through false teaching and stuff and how we need to teach the Bible and, uh, you know, develop strong biblical thinking. And it's not what I call the yin and yanging on the astral plane with the demons, you see. Right. All of this, yeah. <laughs> all of this yeah. stuff about, uh, you know, that Satan does, the, you know, they're more interested in what Satan's doing than what God's doing. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we were arguing, trying to teach what the Bible taught about spiritual warfare and about how. We have an emphasis there on how Christians cannot be given to this, but they can be uh, led astray through false teachings and doctrine. Right. A Christian, if he's not following, or he or she is not following the word of God, can't open doors and be oppressed? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, but 
we we you know we have two or three chapters going into all of this about how Satan um, cannot um, you know we believe that Jesus Christ had direct combat with uh, the demons and cast demons out and things like this mm-hmm. uh, out of un- unbelievers. But uh, when you become a believer, then God um, is going to take care of you in that area. And right. so uh, demons can only interact with you from the outside of you, not from inside of you as a Christian. But they right. certainly can possess meaning control, you know, unbelievers. There's no doubt about that. We certainly uh, believe that. And uh, without, you know, I don't want to go into, you know, I don't have time to go into uh, what constitutes demon possession as described in the Bible. In fact, I used to believe for many years that Christians could be demon possessed. And when I studied the Bible, I changed my mind. Yeah. You know, because the the Bible didn't support that. It talks about standing firm against that, and you do that by, uh, you know, knowing uh, what the Bible teaches and uh, his flames and darts and all of that, you know, has to do with false teaching and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Roy? Um, um, so many, So many things. Number one, um, the Christian can't be possessed. He might be oppressed on the outside or, or there might right. face issues. However, you know, we can pray and we can trust God and he takes care of those things. Um, yes. And we're to know, focus on that, Christ and his provision. Exactly. 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 And, and he, he will, he, he takes care of that. Um, Yes. Some of the other things that you talked about, the issues that are going on in the in, in churches, how people that this is where where my love is, and it's just sharing God's word that is so rich, that is is it has that redeeming power that is able to take that man or woman or that person from the dross from the darkness and bring him back into the marvelous light just by the Amen. word of God. And that's what we need to do, and that's what we need to focus on, and that's what we need to rem- remind everybody how important that is. And I love the the, the, the various, um, the different topics that you talked about. We could go on for another five hours. I, I, I'm just telling you how I feel. So I'm just, I'm sitting back and I'm listening, but I'm also learning a lot um, from you. And, and you know, um, I see that, you you love the entire gospel, so there's nothing that is is not short. You're not you're not cutting off anything. You're talking about hey, yes, demon. Um, it's it's possible for somebody to be possessed that is not walking with the Lord, uh, or the different things that are going on in the world. And I I just love you, my brother. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. And I I thank God for what He's doing in your life and for the things that. Um, for the impact that you're having. Love to have you again. Really would. Well, well great. I enjoyed it as well. And uh, it's great to see other people like you all out there teaching and uh, proclaiming and admonishing people to stand in the Word of God and Jesus Christ, the great hope that we have through him. 
Amen. Amen. Um, before before we end the show, we'd like you to tell people how they can find you. And yeah, I know you you speak at many conferences, and uh, and you know you have a lot of material for people to um, get. So if you could just tell them how to you know reach out to you. Well, they can um, go to my website, which is pre www.pre-trib.org. Or they can just Google Thomas Ice and, you know, my website will come up. And uh, I have books that are available on Amazon and various other, like, Christian book distributors and things like that. And I have those two new books, uh, Charting the Bible Chronologically and also The Case for Zionism, which I'm excited about, you know, uh, showing how... um, Israel does have a future. They're part of God's plan, and God is going to accomplish Amen. these things in the days ahead. That's why the modern state of Israel has been brought back into existence. Okay. Well, tonight's guest was Thomas Ice, and we just we're just honored to have you, and we're glad for the teaching. And as I concur that um, I enjoyed my time, and we hope to get you back soon. Yes. Yes. Whenever you feel. Like you'd like to come back, sir? Please do so, because okay. um, just just it's just a lot, and I, I like the the wealth of your 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 the knowledge that God has bestowed or God has given you, and that you can share with people. I just love that, and I, you know, don't worry, I'll be calling you if I can't find it in a book. I'll I'll see if I can find a way to get in touch with you and say, hey, doc, I need some help here. I am I'm I'm a little bit confused. And then, you know, maybe you can shed some light on some stuff for us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all for your ministry and your outreach and it it's good to be with y'all. All right, thank you. And good night. Good night. We'll see you here there in the thank air. You. Oh, <laughs> yes, sure. thank you. Good night. Thank you. All right, good night. That's our show for tonight, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Doing business like a CEO while saving like a CFO. Staples has all the supplies you need to run your business like a boss at prices that'll make your bookkeeper smile. Now that is an achievement. Everything from markers and pens to 2019 desk calendars. And right now, a 12-pack of Sharpie markers and an 8-pack of Expo dry erase markers are only $4.99 each. At Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. Ends one nineteen nineteen in-store only. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.